In his classic book entitled All Quiet on the Western Front, Eric Remarque described the horrors of World War I. You read it and you realize you don't want to experience war. He stated the book's purpose like this. It, the book, will try simply to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped the shells, were destroyed by the war. One of the horrors of war is that it often destroys both those who live and those who die. Last week, we heard that Satan, our great foe, has declared war on us. And you might be tempted to think, not me. I'm going to sit this one out. I'm not going to fight. But we don't have that choice. To follow Jesus is to be in Satan's crosshairs. He lives to kill us. Our enemy has many schemes. He has many names. He goes by the devil, which means deceiver. Or Satan, which means accuser. Or Lucifer, which means angel of light. And now he's prince of darkness. He is the evil one who does not sleep, cannot be tricked, is smarter than all of our collective intelligences in this room, is more powerful than we are, knows our weaknesses, and is coming for us. It's this battle that has destroyed many a combatants, even some that have survived the shells for a while. Now, we face a formidable enemy, to be sure, but we are not left without our resources. We have a friend named Jesus, and he beckons us to stand, to stand in the strength of his might. It's impossible to stand if we trust ourselves, but Jesus is and has always proven trustworthy, and he has strength to spare. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're examining all the different pieces of armor. None of us are going to escape the shells, but we need not be destroyed by this war. We're going to use the armor that we have been given by Jesus so that we may not slip or retreat or withdraw or sit out or fall. And today we examine the belt of truth, and I trust we will hear together a summons to stand together in truth. Stand together in the truth. That's the main idea. I'll be reading verses 10, chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, but we're just going to focus on the belt of truth. I read the rest of it for context. So follow along in your Bible if you have one. Finally, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt 
of truth. Let's pray. Lord, I am keenly aware of my great lack this morning. Every time I stand behind this pulpit and open your word and attempt to preach, I'm aware of my limitations and my vulnerabilities. Lord, I pray that as I preach and as we hear your word expounded, that I would be more aware of your strength and your might and your power, Lord. Because what we want this morning as a church is to encounter you. And may we encounter you through your word. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to see that the, we, we strap on the belt of truth to stand together in this truth. And we're going <coughs> to look at two simple points. The first point is going to be much briefer than the second. We're going to see that we're called to stand, and we're going to see that we're called to fasten. First, we're called to stand, therefore. Stand, therefore. And you can see that right there in verse 14. Very simple. Stand, therefore. Now, this is the first time in this short section, the fourth time, actually, in this short section that we are commanded to stand. Look at verse 11. Be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Paul is like a toddler here, repeating himself. When toddlers repeat themselves, you know what they want. Paul is repeating himself to us so that he might get our attention. What's the point? The point is to stand. It's to what? To stand. What? Stand. What? Stand. What? Stand. Now, we must not sit idly, think that we can just stand, sit on the sidelines thinking that the devil will give us a break and he'll leave us alone so that we can stand just off to the side by ourselves. That's not the way it works. We can't lay on the ground and cover our faces hoping that the devil doesn't notice. We can't fall asleep. We can't sit down. We can't hide. We can't raise our hand and say, Mr. Beelzebub, I've had a tough, tough week. Can you just leave me alone for a little while? No, we must stand and fight. And if we do not fight, we will not stand. See, this is one of the inconvenient truths about following Jesus. It's not easy. It's not easy. It is a fight. And this image that Paul gives us here is, is that we are soldiers, each one of us, are soldiers in his army. Now, this may be a bit jarring, because most of the popular Christian authors and preachers do not talk about Christianity as being difficult. They talk about following Jesus as full of blessings, and it is. But oftentimes they talk about Christianity as if when something bad happens to you, it's a you problem. Or that if you don't have all your dreams, or you, if you live with disappointments, or if you somehow are... Are, are experiencing hardship, then you're, you're doing something wrong. Or maybe there's sin. Or maybe you just lack faith. That's not the truth here. That's not the truth. The truth is that we're in a war. And we have a foe who lives to destroy us. The Christian life, if we're going to make it, is a fight. And it is not easy. There will be times of blessing, but sometimes it's just a fight. 
Lloyd-Jones, speaking of this passage, has some good advice when he says, we tend to always be feeling our pulses and talking about ourselves and our moods. He says, forget yourself and your temporary troubles and ills for the moment. Fight in the army. What most of us need isn't a clinic or a nurse, but to listen to a sergeant major drilling his troops, commanding them, warning them, and showing them what to do. And this is what's happening for us as we read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. We hear the voice of our Lord commanding us, calling us to stand, calling us to fight. We need to hear this. We need to hear that we are opposed and we will be opposed by the devil until the day we die. We should expect to have to fight for our lives. And most of the time, the arena of the battlefield is in our minds. Very few of us are going to have the devil show up and say, hey, I'm going to kill you physically. What he does is he whispers. He whispers things to our minds and lies to us. One of his schemes is to come to Christians and whisper toxic lies. Things like, this life is way too hard. There can't be a point to this. Or, you would be happier if you were only younger, richer, smarter, prettier, married, or married to someone else. He whispers, you deserve better than this. He whispers things like, a good, loving God would never let this happen to you. He whispers, you have every right to be irritable. The people around you need to understand that you're not happy. It's your right. He whispers, you are completely alone. No one understands. Sometimes he says, God has forgotten you. Other times he says, you shouldn't. You, you can't forgive that person for what they said to you. Still other times he says, God will not forgive you because you're too broken and compromised. Sometimes he says, God may love others, but he does not love you. And this proves it. It's these thoughts and a billion others that he assails us with. And it's these thoughts we have to fight. Right there. All of them. In different ways. We all have to fight. We have to fight so that those thoughts don't gain purchase in our minds and hearts. He knows where we are weak and he knows exactly the thoughts to whisper into our own minds. He knows those of us that struggle with self-pity, those of us who struggle with sullenness and anger, those of us who struggle with self-righteousness and self-sufficiency and, com and comparison with other people. He knows those things, and he knows what to whisper to us. So how do we stand? How do we fight? Well, we start by fastening the belt of truth. Fasten the belt of truth. Now, soldiers of that day had a belt. And this wasn't a piece of armor per se, but it was, it was critical to two different pieces of armor. The belt, as they strapped on the belt, would secure the bottom part of the breastplate. If they did not wear the belt, the breastplate would flap around and be useless. Also, there would be, the belt was the place they would 
hang their swords. So without a belt, there's no sword and there's no protection. There's no breastplate protection. No soldier could fight if his breastplate was not secured and if he had no place to hang his sword. Now notice what verse 14 tells us to do. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Who does this fastening? You. To whom? Yourself. See, we must fasten this this belt of truth upon ourselves. We must strap ourselves with truth and be dressed for battle. Otherwise, we will fall. This means that we must both know the truth and apply the truth. We must both know the truth and apply the truth. We must strap truth on to our very selves. Now, the truth we tra- strap onto ourselves is not the truth of trigonometry or meteorology or physiology or economics or political science or any such thing. The truth that we strap onto ourselves is the truth about Jesus and his gospel. See, this is the kind of thing, this is the way we can figure out what, what, what the truth is pointing to in verse 14. We can ask ourselves the question, what truth does Satan most want to undermine in our lives? It's the truth of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 13 of Ephesians, we read, In him, that's Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. See, what Satan wants to undermine in our lives is the veracity of the gospel the veracity of the truth of Jesus Christ, that good news. Isaiah 11 presents our Messiah, Jesus Christ, as the one who is bound with truth on all sides. And our Lord invites us likewise to bind the truth to ourselves. So what is the truth? What is the truth of the substance of the faith that we have that is recorded in the Bible and handed down to us from our Christian forebearers, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. To know the truth of the gospel starts with an orthodox understanding of who Jesus is. There are saints now gathered to their Savior who make up a great cloud of witnesses that watch us at this very moment. These these saints in, in generations past recorded extraordinary summations of who Jesus is is and what he's done. They're called creeds. Not all creeds are good, but there's a bunch that are. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to know the truth of who Jesus is. If we do not know the truth of who Jesus is, we will have nothing, no good news. We will have nothing to strap on ourselves. The aims of these creeds were to help Christians strap truth onto themselves. We're going to look at one, and we're going to set the Wayback Machine to 325 A.D., And look at the Nicene Creed. I don't know about you, but that's comforting to me. Here we are in 2023. I had to think about it for a second. And we look back to a creed written in 325. 325. That's three centuries before the founding of Islam. That's predating 
Buddhism by more than a century, not even to speak of Mormonism, we have a creed that we can stand on here that is unchanged. We can read it as recorded by the saints in Nicaea and say, this is true. Why is it true? Because it reflects the truth of the Bible. This ancient creed has helped saints for centuries strap truth onto themselves and fight the lies of the devil. Because if the devil's going to attack anything about Jesus, it's who he is. All you need to do when it comes to a cult is ask, what do you believe about Jesus? If he's just a good man, eh. If he's a good man and a prophet, not enough. If they say, well, you know, he died for our sins, but it was just an example, again, not enough. What we need Jesus to be is what this creed describes. We're going to try something here. We're going to do some participation together. And so as the words go up on the screen, I'll read, and let's just read these words together. We'll go slow. You can follow me as I go, and then I'll stop at certain points and just explain in brief what we read. So let's read this together. Ready? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Think about that. For generations and centuries, Christians have gathered together to rehearse these truths about Jesus Christ. Begotten here does not imply that Jesus had a beginning. Rather, it means that Jesus was and was always, pre was always present with the Father and was always sent from the Father. We also see here that Jesus is not somehow less than God, as if he is God Jr., or a deputy God. He is God. He is God the Son. Jesus is God, yet he is not the Father. And the Father is also not the Son. But the Father and the Son are one. And you go, well, how does that make sense? Well, it's hard to understand, but we're not, we shouldn't expect to, that an infinite God is going to be able to be understandable to our, our minds because we're created, we're creatures who have limitations. You don't understand the truth of the gospel if you don't understand this about Jesus. This is where Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam... The social gospel people, they all go awry because they miss the identity of Jesus. Then we read this in the Creed. Through him, all, it's Jesus, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. 
Now, the virgin birth is fundamental to the gospel message. Why? Because it shows that Jesus did not come into the world in the way that every other person did. Not through procreation. At the same time, he is a genuine man. He did not merely appear to be a man. Jesus was and is both man and God. Additionally, his death by crucifixion is not a fairy tale. It didn't happen in the land of Narnia or Middle Earth. It happened in, Rome. It happened in Jerusalem, overseen by a Roman official named Pontius Pilate. This was an event in history, and you can look it up in the history books. His death is history, so our salvation, his death <coughs> is not something that that, that is a fairy tale makeup kind of story. It really happened. And by means of his death, we now have salvation because he died in our place. He took the place of sinful men and women by dying on our behalf. But that's not the end of the story. Next we read The third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. He did what no one else has ever done. He did... and live in the good of what he's done for us and what he is doing in us. So, when Satan comes to you and says, your life is far too difficult, there's no point here. Now, we stand together in this truth. How? We tell ourselves, life is hard. The Bible promises that I will face a great many hardships, but it also says that I am not on my own. My Jesus has purchased me to be his own. He is far beyond me and his purposes for me may not be something I will ever understand completely in this life. I may not be able to trace his hand in my life, but I know his heart and I know he loves me and I know that in this life I may not be able to understand the point, but I understand who Jesus is and what he's done. We stand there. That's how we strap it on. So when the devil comes to you and says, you would be so much happier if you were younger or richer or smarter or prettier or married or married to someone else, you say, I'm going to stand in a different truth. You can say, I might be happier if I experience those things, but none of those things are forever. None of those things last. More than that, none of those things satisfy like my Jesus. Jesus has me and I have him. And he has seated me with him in the heavenly places and has blessed me beyond what I could ever deserve, both now and forevermore. Yes, I will experience times of unhappiness, but these times are fleeting. There will come a day where I will be with him and I will experience joy forevermore. This is the truth we stand on. This is the truth we must strap on ourselves. 
when the devil comes and says, you deserve better than this. No, we stand in a different truth. You can say, I may have received injustice from a great many people. I may have been treated wrongly, but praise be to God, I will not be given now or evermore what I deserve from the Lord. I richly deserve death and hell, but my Jesus has removed my sins and punishment for my sins as far as the east is from the west. Praise be to God, I will not get from him what I deserve. We stand in that truth. Sometimes the devil comes and he says, a good, loving God would never let this situation happen to you. No, I stand in the truth and I strap this on when I remind myself I can't measure God's love by my own perspective. My perspective is far too limited. My years on earth are 60, 70, 80, I don't know, but my God is infinite. He is big and grand and far too far too strong and mighty for me to understand all his purposes. While I may not be able to understand what he's up to now, I can look to my crucified Savior and see there, for sure and for certain, his love on display for me. And I know that though what I'm going through causes me to have great confusion, I know that, my, that the love my God has for me is sure and certain because Jesus has died for me. That's the truth we stand on. Or maybe sometimes the devil comes to you and he says, you have every right to be irritable. Everybody around you needs to understand you're not happy. It's your right. No. No, we need to stand in the truth and strap this to ourselves. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ says, the thing everyone in my life needs to know and feel for me is love and kindness. That's what they need to hear. We live in a fallen and a dark world. We live in a world that is harsh with edges and difficulty. We live in a world that is fallen and full of sin. What the people in my life need to experience is my love and my kindness and my gentleness. Why? Because I have experienced from the Lord only mercy and grace. And he is abounding in steadfast love to me when I didn't deserve that kind of attention. His disposition is love, only love, always love. And I stand there, not in my right, to make sure people understand I'm having a rough go. I stand there. I strap the truth on that way. Sometimes the devil, he'll come and he'll say something like, you are completely alone. No one understands. No, 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 no. No, I stand in a different truth. I'm strapping a different truth on. Though I may feel alone, and though no one around me really understands my sorrow, there is one. There is one. There is always one. My Jesus understands my fears, my feelings, my grief, without any explanation from me. He knows. But his help is always there. And his help goes far beyond what I could ever ask or hope for. He lives to build me up, help me, console me, and do good for me. 
How can I be alone when my name is graven in his hands, when my name is ever on his lips as he prays to the Father for me? How can I really be alone? Just because I can't hear him praying doesn't mean he's not. Just because I can't hear him saying my name doesn't mean he isn't. No, I am not alone. And there is one who understands. Strap that truth on. Sometimes the devil, he'll come and he'll say, God has forgotten all about you. No, he can't. No, we stand together in a different truth. Our Father cannot forget us. A mother is more likely to forget her nursing child as, he, as, she, holds, as she holds the baby than he is to forget me. My God cannot. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now. He is the only one in the realm of heaven who is like me. He is a man with flesh and blood and a beating heart. And his presence with the Lord in heaven means that one day I will be there too. It means one day we Christians will be there too. He has not forgotten me. He's going to bring me to himself. That's the truth we stand in. Sometimes the devil, he'll come and say, you can't forgive that person for what they said to you? No. No, we stand in a different truth. None of us have the right to bitterness. And we all understand that genuine forgiveness is never a simple thing. Forgiveness is surely not saying you weren't hurt. And real forgiveness always carries the aroma of death. Rather than choosing instead to focus on how we've been wrong, we can take the truth of what we've received in Jesus Christ and focus on the forgiveness we have received from the Father because of the, what Jesus has done for us. We can freely forgive because we have been forgiven. How can I hold a grudge against a person when he has not held a grudge against me? How can I not Think about Jesus hanging on the cross. Those that put him there. Father, forgive them, he says, for they know not what they do. We stand in that truth, and we need to strap that truth on us. Sometimes the devil comes and he says, God, he's not going to forgive you again, not for this. You're way too broken. You're way too compromised. You're like damaged goods. Go away. No, we stand together in a different truth. We are broken and compromised, but there's always more mercy. My sin is deep, but His grace is deeper still. He has an inexhaustible resource of mercy for me even when I fail again and again and again. Though I fail him, he will never send me away. Though I fall, he will pick me up. He never, ever thinks, how could he come again? No, he never thinks that. He has put my every sin upon my Savior so that I can come and say, Lord, I failed again. Please forgive me. That's the truth we stand on. Yes. Satan may come and say, God may love other people, but he doesn't really love you. 
all the disappointment in your lives, in your life, that proves it. No, no, no. We stand, that's a lie. We stand together in this truth. I may go through a fiery trial, but nothing, nothing, nothing that I can see, nothing that I can't see, no power in heaven or no, and no power on earth can separate me from the love of God in Christ. He does not promise that I will not face troubles, but he promises to walk and uphold me as I walk through my troubles. See, this is the truth that we stand on. When Satan comes to us, preaching his false gospel. And you can always tell, you can always tell when it's, it's areas of compromise or something you should believe in or giving you, giving you cover to, be, to experience self-pity or sullenness or anger or self-righteousness or self-sufficiency or comparison. Satan's whispering things in your ear. What we must do is strap on tightly the belt of truth. The truth of this, we have a Savior. We have a Savior who is working in and through us. And these things must not get, the lies Satan whispers in our ears must not gain purchase in our souls because if it does, if they do, we will put our feet on slippery ground. We will put our feet on slippery ground and we will fall. We must strap on the truth of the gospel. We must strap on the gospel and live in this truth. Satan's always going to whisper in your ear. But we need to strap truth on tighter, tight enough so that we recognize we must, we cannot believe what he says. We cannot take refuge in self-pity or sullenness, anger, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, comparison, or all the other things he calls us to do. Now, we may not have a choice. We must fight, and we must fight to stand. I wish this wasn't the way it was in this world, but it is. And I'd be lying if I had to say, if I said this is easy. It's not. Now, while we have good reason to be sobered at the prospect of this daily battle, we have better reason to believe that Jesus will see us through. He is our champion. He is our strength. He is the defender of our souls. He is our friend that cannot die. He is the rock that we can always stand on. He is the shelter we can always run to. He is the one and the only one we can entrust ourselves to fully and completely without reserve. Friend, that's our truth. That is the truth. May we strap on that truth together. May we fasten that truth on together and stand. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I don't want any to fall. I don't want any to slip. I don't want any to retreat or withdraw. Lord, I want us all to be able to stand in the truth of who you are and what you've done. 
I pray for any who are tempted just to say, it's too hard, I can't do this, the temptations are much too difficult, Lord. I pray that you would help them to see that those are lies from Satan. And the truth is, is that Jesus is always better. You are better, and you can uphold us. Even though it may seem like you, that we can't make it through the next hour, day, week, month, year, Lord, I pray that you would help us to strap on the truth that, that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You will never leave us to our own devices. We will always have you. You have promised never to leave us. So, Lord, strengthen us for this battle. I pray that you would bring truth to our mind. I pray that we would be men and women who stand in the truth of Jesus and his gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Please, help us to remember to strap this truth on. And when we hear whispers, and when we hear the evil one whispering in our ears, may we hear stronger the voice of the Lord in our hearts with the truth and not lies. May we be those who believe and build on the strong foundation of truth. We don't do this without you or your help. And I plead that for all of us, Lord. I pray that we would stand together as a church on this truth and strap it together tight so we're ready to fight, ready to stand, ready not to retreat, and ready to see you work in our lives. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.